our the lists. All right, um, Jack, all you right. are going to go first. I am always excited to hear what movie you of mine you you want to watch. So uh, lay it yeah. on me. What do you all got? Right. Yeah. So what I decided to watch because uh, I actually own this movie. And I've actually started to watch this once or twice and just stopped for some reason or another after the first ten minutes. And it relates to another movie that we just talked about a few minutes ago, which is uh, Poltergeist. The house looks just like the one next to it. And the one next to that. And the one next to that. A young couple live in it. Give Ken a kiss. With their three children. And something more. Uh, Toby Hooper. Well, Toby Hooper directed this, although you could say, arguably, that he directed this. Uh, much the same way Victor Fleming directed Gone with the Wind, uh, which I might not mean. Is that a movie in joke or something? Yeah, you got to explain. No, like what happened was David O. Selznick was really the guy that like produced Gone with the Wind. He was the one really behind it. Even though Victor Fleming is credited as the director, he didn't really have as much say. It was really a producer's movie. It's Selznick's baby. Yeah. So in other words, so uh, and... Poltergeist is Spielberg's baby. Right. Through and through, this is a Spielberg movie. He also wrote the script. Um, and when you watch this movie, I mean, at least when I watch this movie, I saw a few things that felt like possibly like it was a Toby Hooper movie. There aren't a lot of trademarks with him, except that you could say, you know, corpses. Well, <laughs> there are, there are, you know, yeah, corpses. There are a couple of corpses in this movie. Um, but what this movie is, you basically get more, much more, I think for me in a Spielberg light. And in fact, um, this movie was shot on the same street that they shot E.T. Because, you know, E.T. and the Poltergeist were shooting right around the same time. Uh, in fact, Spielberg wanted to direct Poltergeist, but it was in his contract when he made E.T. that he couldn't direct another movie at the same time. Makes sense. So he was basically on set sort of supervising while E.T. was delayed with something. So what you get... So give us the... The plot of plot. Poltergeist involves an idyllic family. You know, the type that, you know, the the father watches football games with his friends, and you get wacky things like uh, the other house next to them changes the channel and changes the remote, and they get into little fights like that. You have the mother, uh, in this case, uh, oh, um, Williams, uh, Joe Beth Williams plays the mother, you know, and then you also have uh, two daughters and a son. The younger daughter... Uh, is basically the interesting one in that while she's watching TV really late at night, or she sort of gets up because it's all static on the TV, but something is calling to her. And uh, the girl, of course, is uh, uh, played by Heather O'Rourke. And, of course, you get the sort of classic line, they're here, and that basically refers to... uh, sort of supernatural entities that are going to invade this family's life. And at first it seems kind of not that threatening in a way. I mean, it seems like the house is haunted by ghosts. Yeah. The house is, it ends up haunted by ghosts at first. But they're sim- not sort of like the, Ooh, there's like a transparent person over there or no, oh. they're more like the, we're going to 
completely mess with your lives type of ghosts. At first, it's kind of just like we're gonna rearrange chairs in a room, <laughs> um, you know. And there's that sort of Spielberg moment where like the mother shows her kid, no, no, look, look, and then you know, you're like, look, let's pull the chairs down. And then they turn around, and it's like the chairs are all stacked up. Yeah, you know that sort of scene. But the but then the ghosts reveal themselves that they are not messing around, and they're really have taken over this house to the point where they basically abduct uh, the younger daughter. They abduct Heather O'Rourke. And now, you know, the parents are freaking out. They want their daughter back. Their daughter is in some kind of other ghostly... Give me back my daughter! Yeah. And um, so they bring in, basically, the proto-Ghostbusters. They're sort of paranormal investigators who come to the house and try to figure out what's going on. Um... And they figure out things up to a point, but they need an expert. And then cue in Zelda Rubenstein, who is basically like the Yoda of this operation, who kind of knows everything. She kind of comes in as a, and is the exposition machine, but she's really good at it because it's like she she's has got she's got that small voice with the southern accent, and she has that sort. You, you just of love hearing her. That. You can take the exposition because she, you love hearing her talk. Yeah. So, um, so that's basically the gist of this movie. And also, I should mention Craig T. Nelson is the the father. Right. Um, both Craig, yeah, both Nelson and Joe Beth Williams are great in the movie. Um, I love seeing uh, Joe Beth Williams, especially. I felt like she like made this uh, mother a three dimensional in some ways. Like she, what, what I like too is the the whole setup. You get to really know this family. And they're not a super serious family. They like to kind of joke around with each other, but in a friendly way. They're a family. They're a family. They're a basic family, but the writing doesn't make it unrealistic. You kind of buy them as a family. Right. You buy the the husband and wife as lovers. You buy the kids as kids, you know, who get scared at night of things. Everything out checks dark. out. Everything checks out, and that leaves a good foundation for the horror that's to come. Okay. Um, so I, I like this movie. So let me ask you a question. What, uh, what is your favorite scene from this movie? Hmm. Hmm. Good, good question. Um. If it'll help you, I can tell you my favorite scene. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm just thinking. I, um, I would say that when, uh, when the little girl is abducted, that's really spectacular. Yeah. There's also, you know, also there's a really great, and, and, there's also that, and also there's a really great scene where it's like they're spending the first night sort of in the house, sort of tracking the ghosts with the investigators, and there's kind of like a quiet scene where the mother is talking with, uh, trying to talk at night with the other investigators, and it's just a really nice conversation about their family and about the circumstances going on. Mm-hmm. That I liked a lot. Hmm. My favorite scene okay. is in the climax. Which one? Where the, I'm going to get to the that. final climax. Okay, the final. Okay, that's the see that's interesting because I want to talk about that. Well, Craig T. Nelson, his boss, he, <laughs> he comes to the house and everything's going insane. And well, Craig T. Should... Nelson, we realize what's wrong. And well, we Craig should... T. Nelson. Yeah. He grabs his boss by the shoulders and says, You move the headstones, but you didn't move the bodies! Ah! And just goes insane. I figured you, you would like that scene. 
I did like that moment. Um, yeah, that's a fun thing. It's so overdone. I just love it. Is. It. it is very overdone. That whole that whole second ending is overdone. Here's my one problem with. This oh, movie. it's fantastic. I love it. I. But that, the, but that's the that's the the quintessence of that scene. Craig quint- T. Nelson gra- shaking his boss by the shoulders and screaming at him. It's the equivalent of uh, it's the equivalent of that moment. Did you see the Iron Giant? Yeah, you remember that moment in the Iron Giant where like the rockets go up in the air, and he's like, "So the rocket is aimed for where the giant is. Where's the giant, Mansley?" He's like, "Uh, we can duck and cover." That <laughs> doesn't work, Mansley. <laughs> You know the moment I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I love that moment. Now, here's the thing of Poster Guys for me. All right. I like most of the movie very much. A really good, you know, keeping you on the edge of your seat and, you know, in that Spielberg way, you know, offering up certain moments of sentimentality, but it does work in this context. Um, It's a fantastical setup, and the midsection's really enjoyable. The effects, the special effects really hold up. They're dynamite. We get to, we get a climax. We get a really good, perfectly awesome climax where Zelda Rubenstein, leading the way, gets the parents to go into the other realm through a very interesting step-by-step way that you really feel the tension as they are literally by a rope trying to get their daughter out. And it's really tense. It's really awesome. I was like, okay, this is a good ending. Like, this would be a great ending for the movie. It doesn't end though. It feel like okay, so the movie's still going on. It's, it's the false climax. We're get that's the false. Well, I don't even know. It's a false climax. This movie has two climaxes. Well, it's it's the you false get- climax in that you think that's that's where the problems are solved. Yeah, and supposedly the problems should solve there. Now, here to me, the characters through most through almost all the movie, they're pretty intelligent. They're not stupid characters. After that happens in your house, whether you think that the ghosts are gone or not, why would you stay in that house again? Well... <laughs> why would you keep staying there? Well, the maybe father it, isn't there. Well, like, how many days after was it? Like, was I think it was the next night. Yeah, like, they, they're not going to move, like, <laughs> right no, after. but they... But, like, but they go back to stay in there, and it's like, how do they know they're not... The ghosts aren't all gone? Well, because the lady said... The lady, <laughs> the lady, the lady said that everything was fine. Yeah, and they were, and like, oh, our daughter's back. Nothing's floating around anymore. Chairs aren't stacking themselves. I think for me, the problem was that the lead up to that second or the real climax. It's like, okay, I know this is coming because the movie's not ending. Okay, I know something's coming because you're having a slow build up to it. Like, it's almost that thing in in Alien, where you know, yeah. only in Alien it works better. Like, as an alien, you know, she blows up the Nostromo. She's floating away. And you so, you see her kind of, you know, she's taking off her clothes. You know, she's finally going to relax. And all of a sudden, oh, the alien's still there. Oh, my God. The movie's not, oh, my God, this is intense. Yeah. That worked better there because the climax isn't as long. It's just her versus the alien. And she has to get the alien out. Here, basically, Spielberg decided, all right, I put you on one roller coaster. I'm going to put you on another one. And this one's going to be even crazier. And this is going to go <laughs> over the top. And, you know, I just... By that point, all right, yeah, it still looks cool. It does. But it's just... It's not terrible. But by the time you're done with one thing, it's like you put you right back into it for another, like, ten minutes. 
Yeah. And it's just it was just too much for me. By that point, I was like, stop, stop. You, you were you were emotionally exhausted. But... I was already emotionally exhausted. That first climax was very powerful. You know, you had the characters actually, you know, accomplishing something. Whereas in the second climax, it's just the house is messing with them. And then, like, things like the mother goes into, like, the pool and all the corpses pop up. Yeah. That's one of those moments, like, in, uh, not quite as bad, but, like, in Temple of Doom, where Kate Capshaw is just surrounded by, like, the skeletons. And is like, ah! 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 <laughs> it's like, oh, come on. Come on. Oh, I man. will admit, that moment with Craig T. Nelson is, is pretty funny. Yes. <laughs> Especially because the other actor who plays his, uh, I don't know, it's his boss? Yeah. He's, okay. Or, James, or like the guy. James Karen. Yeah. And I like him a lot because he was also in uh, Return of the Living Dead. Hmm. And I love him in that movie. If you want to see it, like, a master's class in Hambone performance. Watch Return of the Living Dead. I love that movie so much. Um, so I would say, you know, Poltergeist is, you know, I've seen a lot of these, you know, haunted house, scary type movies. I mean, we get so many of them now, they're almost a dime a dozen, you know, between yeah. the paranormal and they take movies, And they take themselves far too seriously. They take themselves way too seriously. You can't get invested in the characters. This is like this is clearly kind of like the prototype for many many movies to follow, but it's a well, good prototype. I don't think I don't I wouldn't say that this is a prototype. You th- well, I guess there are other movies there, like The there, Haunting. Maybe. There are there's The Haunting or House uh, House on Haunted Hill. But were there? But those uh, are, but those are movies where like the house was a very specific place where characters were going to it. This is a thing where you have a normal suburban family. It's basically, you know, you have the light side of E.T., then you have the dark side of, of Poltergeist. So let's say e, parts of E.T. can it's get It's a dark. twist on a familiar situation. Yeah. The haunted house is not the abandoned manor on the outside of town. It's a suburban home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. It's very recognizable so that when the horror does come out, um, you can identify with a little bit more and you identify with your main characters more. Yeah. I should mention again that, you know, you know, having likable characters really does help in a movie like this. It makes it almost essential. Um, you know, like I, I really like Craig T. Nelson this. I really like the mother. I think the mother was maybe my favorite character because she deals with a lot <laughs> in this movie. Yeah. You know, and she like loves her kids, but, um, I mean, the other two kids might be not the most developed, but they're, they're not. I mean, they end up leaving the house anyway while they're doing the, getting the daughter out. Right. But, um... Uh, I think maybe that's why you... Maybe that's why they had to bring in that second... No, wait. The second climax uh, had to do with everybody. Yeah. Everybody um, was vulnerable again. Mm-hmm. Basically, because yeah, you needed uh, you need to do something. Yeah, it's interesting to mention something by the way that when we were, we were talking about when we talked about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, how that had a little bit of reality involving uh, Ed Gein, and sort of inspired by that. Poltergeist is partly inspired by something that actually happened. The Amityville Horror? No, 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 no. Um. Uh, no, but it really about how there was apparently this park in Denver, Colorado. It was called Cheeseman Park. And it was originally a cemetery, which was converted into a park during, like, a beautification thing. Right. The man, the man was hired to remove uh, the bodies. 
but he scammed the city into overpaying him, and then uh, the city quickly ran out of funds, so they decided to simply leave the remaining residents behind in unmarked graves underneath the soil. Yeah. So the park was completed, but supernatural things started reportedly happening there. Yeah. Probably, uh, a very weak uh, but, comparison, but when, well, when that when that I known about that, and when yeah, I mean it's uh I mean whether supernatural things are or not really happened, it's still a great premise. Yeah, it, it's a it's a solid premise. I mean, um, again, like I said, characters drive this. The special effects hold up really well. Yeah, like you know, a lot of times with certain horror movies. They'll go for like a CGI effect, and you know it, it's not. You, the filmmakers won't know, like unless you shake them and tell them, like Craig T. Nelson, it will not hold up in ten years. <laughs> like the reason that you know I don't love the original Haunting as much as you do, but the reason I would watch that at the drop of a hat over you know like the remake for any number of reasons is that the special effects in the 1999 Haunting suck. Yeah. Um, they just don't live up today, but, um, but there's a lot of gotcha stuff in the movie that's fun. It's a, it's a, basically, it's a fun movie. You know, I wouldn't say it's anything deep. I think Hooper and Spielberg just wanted to get, you know, audiences at you the You could malls. show it to younger people. That's the thing, too, actually. It's not a very bloody movie. It is a PG-rated horror movie. But it takes a few risks. It does take some risks, there are like some that mirror scene. Things. Oh yeah, yeah. Maybe, all right, maybe it's not. It's a PG movie. <laughs> it's a PG movie back when, you know, back when Spielberg was still pushing the boundaries of PG. I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark is PG. Yeah. That has and, and Temple of Doom. Face I think was like the last movie of PG having a man's heart ripped out of his chest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can't get over. Nobody can get over that. It's like. That is in a kid's movie. Compared to what happened in Temple of Doom and Raiders of the Lost Ark, I mean, anything that happened in Last Crusade is kind of... Tame. Tame. I mean, even, yeah. the, even like, the one really bizarre death is kind of non-graphic in its, in its own way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still a little haunting, but still... It, it's not the sort of mind-scarring thing that will... Uh, that happened to me when I first saw Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark. Yeah. And um, I was not ready for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I watched Poltergeist, I don't know if I'd say it was, like, super scary, but it was super charged. And it had the intensity to it that I think does hold up. And I do think, yeah, it is... It can be enjoyed by the whole family. Like, like I said, when I compared it to E.T., it is like buying a record album. E.T. is one side, Poltergeist is the other. Huh. That's an interesting and, way to put uh, it. Yeah, and you get, like, the family experience of, like, you know, a lovable sci-fi movie. Which also, that movie had some dark parts to it. Or sad parts. Uh, but this movie is just, like, Spielberg saying, I want to get you in the room and scare the shit out of you. <laughs> you know, which, it's fascinating if you read about Spielberg's history. Like, that, you know, a movie like Poltergeist is probably very personal for him in the sense that he apparently spent a lot of his childhood just scaring his sisters. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like the one boy with like two or three sisters and would just spend a lot of time just scaring the crap out of them. And it's kind of <laughs> That's like, uh my dad was, kind of... was the oldest of uh of 
Wait, let me see. One, two, three, four children, and mm-hmm. I had four younger sisters. Okay. I'm mad. <laughs> did he scare any of them? No, I don't think so. I think he was. <laughs> I think he was too busy doing other stuff. That's but uh, but yeah. So I, I enjoyed the movie. I'm glad I finally watched all of it. I I forget why I never watched it all the way through. I think uh, I don't know. The the start is a little. I'm not gonna say it's slow, but you do have to you do have to sit down and watch it. You can't do something else while it's on. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen any of the sequels. Have, have you? I heard they're not that. Nah. Good. I mean, why? How? How? Why follow it up? I mean, what? They're gonna go to another house and get haunted, and the daughter is gonna see more stuff in her TV. You want to hear one of the lamest things? Mm. There was, I think, there was a sequel to the Amityville Horror. Oh yeah, well, there are two sequels. Yeah, there's also Amityville 3D, and one of them is like a a haunted (laughs) dollhouse. (laughs) Oh, seriously? Yeah. Oh. See. This is why a lot of direct horror sequels aren't so good. No, no. Although I've been curious for a long time to see Exorcist 2. I haven't seen it. I hear that Exorcist 3 is an underrated I've heard that's underrated. I hear Exorcist 2 is just freaking weird. It's kind of like the uh, 2001 of Possession movies. Mm. I've seen parts of it. Okay. It seems like a real trip. But yeah, uh, uh, yeah, so Poltergeist. And uh, uh, Richard Burton. Oh, and Exorcist 2? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've seen clips of it. And it's just like, John Borman took that movie and went in a totally John different direction. John Borman. I love John Borman. Well, we've talked about The Excalibur mind behind Zardoz. Excalibur. I talked about Point Blank. A per, uh, Deliverance. Deliverance. Eh, I gotta yeah. watch Zardoz again. I really want to see that again. Uh, I've seen it twice, and it doesn't really change much the second time you see it. Maybe, actually, I should say, if I saw it again, maybe I would have... Maybe I would try to be more open to it. Maybe I'm just know. being nostalgic. That's the kind of movie that, you know, when I talked about how my mom remembered the movie Little Murders dec- you know, decades after she saw it, like the one time, I'm going to remember Zardoz for the rest of my life. It's not a, it's not a good movie. No. I don't... It's a... It, it's a mess, but... But I, I love... But, like, when you have a giant stone head commanding things about the penis and the gun... Uh, the, the gun is good. Yeah, um, but I, I love John Borman's style. Like, mm, yeah, it, it, he he especially does good work with it in Excalibur. But uh, yeah, but so uh, Poltergeist. Yeah, go go check it out. Um, if you want some good old, old fashioned Spielberg, you know, really grab you and hold your horror. I think among his sort of produced but not directed horror films i probably might prefer like gremlins but poltergeist is close behind all right i'll have to check out gremlins i haven't seen the original oh yeah okay right. you said gremlins too yeah we saw it together oh yeah Ding. yeah i um i've mean to show uh cory gremlins for the longest time just because i'm pretty sure she was the... oh never mind well she saw gremlins too i mean because she found gizmo so cute right and how can you not find right. gizmo cute? so now it's my turn yes all right i kind of screwed this one up because i saw it and I didn't realize it on their list, but I really, but I want to talk about it now. All Wait, about. So you, so you saw it? Oh, so you saw all about Eve. All what? about Eve. Wait, but didn't we talk about this? Before? We talked about it a little bit, but not in depth. I want to talk a little more about it. So let's okay. talk about all about Eve. So did you see it a second time? Well, no. <laughs> but I. <laughs> but I found. So you didn't really watch it. But I found the notes that I took. <laughs> all right. And, so uh, let's, let's go for this then. Okay. Uh, the film is about. 
uh, a bunch of actors and writers in the theater. Uh, one of them is named Mark. Uh, I forget her last name. Uh, her first name is Margot. She's an actress. She's played by Betty Davis, mm-hmm. and she gets this kind of hanger-on named Eve Harrington, played yes. by uh, Ann Baxter, Ann Baxter yes. uh, who I love because she was in the Ten Commandments. And we go through uh, the we go through the years of these people's lives, try, uh, trying to figure out who the heck Eve really is. And that's what I ended up doing for most of this film. You're getting, you're basically getting a melodrama of these two characters. Yeah. And let me ask you a question. This was one a movie you put on the list. Now, why did you put this movie on the list for me? Um, I think that it's um, mostly because of, in large part for the actors and also for the fact that I was curious to see what you would think of a movie that, as I think we even talked about when we first talked about, that you don't particularly like the theater, no. but it's a behind, but it's a behind the stage uh, tale of a, of actors right. and their goings on. And I wanted to see if you could try to, you know, not say not to say forget about that because it's very prevalent in the movie. There's a lot of ego floating around in this world. Yeah, but the fact that if you have an excellent script that will drive it forward. You know, it's, it's a, it's so richly textured and it actually evolves and it reveals its characters through their personalities through, um, and in a way, like, actually it's funny. I wrote this in my review that the script sort of reminds me of the main star character of Betty Davis. Yeah. It's like, she knows she's too good and is almost kind of arrogant in it's flamboyance. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those, but it's so entertaining that you just can't, you know, forget about it. Like, you know, I thought it was also important that when dealing with the era of, cla- of classic Golden Age Hollywood, I mean, you've seen a number of classic films, obviously. Yeah. But this was one that I thought that any fan of movies who's getting into, cla- you know, movies should watch. Whether, you know, even if, you know, it's sort of transcended time as far as being like, Ooh, an old classic. Because some, you know, there are a number of movies that have won Best Picture at the Oscars that I, I'm never going to watch. <laughs> or I'm not, unless if I'm going out of my way to watch them. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not going to watch The Greatest Show on Earth unless if I have to. Um, <laughs> Trout and Heston in the circus. Um, <laughs> um, if but, he's not driving a chariot, I'm out. <laughs> But, but here's the thing for me. Uh, so I don't know if that was an adequate explanation. But. It, it kind of does fit me in a way because a lot of, uh, part of the, uh, a good chunk of the conflict in this between the different characters, they, they're friends, but uh, they they have they often have arguments about seemingly petty things. Uh, it, it could all, it could easily go almost become like a I'm putting quotes chick flick. But it transcends that, and it's uh, and some of their conflict is writers versus actors. Mm-hmm. You know, writers being uh, writers being like, ah, why can't you just do it the way I wrote it? Or an actors being like, I I'm the one who brought your stupid script to life, and yeah, you know, I'm a person who who appreciates good writing more than I do good acting. Mm-hmm. I'll admit that. Yeah. Uh, I I just have. Uh, I'm not from an acting background or or from working or I don't work on a lot of films. Yeah. Uh, but another thing. But you don't have to necessarily work on 
movies or be in the, the theatrical world to sort of sees people as being relatable. Yeah, you can see when people are working off of ego. Yeah. And that's a big part of it. And usually it has to do with being insecure about something. Right. And, and of course, with, it's interesting that this movie came out in 1950, the same year of Sunset Boulevard, which is also a film about actors and writers and, you know, the fact that also Gloria Swanson, that movie, is starting to get a bit older and she's, you know, trying to get that one more hit. And by this point, Betty Davis wasn't, like, that that old. No. But she was still getting an age. You right. know, like, the older actress and the younger one. You know, now that you mention that, that's a big, th- that's a big theme going through this film, insecurity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Margot, she's insecure about her age. Uh, her 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 uh, boyfriend on and off again boyfriend is probably is insecure about their relationship mm-hmm. you know she's they've been going back and forth and thinking about marriage and not thinking about marriage so he's insecure in his relationship or and you know his masculinity uh the writer uh he's basically insecure about his future uh, you know, what is he going to do? Is he keep is he going to keep holding on and writing things for Margot, or is he ever going to do anything yeah. different? I forget. Was is the writer George Sanders? No, he's the critic. Okay, okay, that's right. Yeah, I and then and then Eve comes in, and she's not uh, particularly uh, insecure about anything. No, uh, she's she just kind of she's she is a leaf on the wind. <laughs> she she flits back and forth and for a while i couldn't i couldn't grasp the thread of this movie like there there were all these characters i knew who they were eve walks in and the the film kind of drifts it doesn't seem to go anywhere well, tangible well, and i was trying well she's a little more subtle certainly than, yeah it's uh, Betty davis in the beginning it's very subtle like no one's making any moves Mm-hmm. And everything is is passive, so it took me a while to like hold on to it and try and find out what this film was about because I knew nothing about this film going in. I I didn't even read the back of the box. <laughs> yeah. I love doing that because uh, you, you you get recommendations and you just like don't care what it's about. Let's go ahead. Uh, that's what I did with American Pop. Mm. I didn't even know it was an animated film when I started. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it just took me a while to grasp it and. And I and that's probably a good I, good way to do it because Eve really sneak up sneaks up on everybody. Yeah. You get the sense that there's something behind her, mm-hmm. and you don't know if it's because it's it's like the characters are they just jealous of her or is there really something not right about her? Mm. And and you don't know. Yeah, it leaves a lot of room open for the audience to meet the movie halfway. Right. Uh. And and eventually I begin uh, uh, I began seeing Eve as rather parasitic. Mm, you know, yeah. she's like a she's like a leech, like that's not hurting anybody, but her, her mere presence yeah it makes you feel uneasy. One of those people that when you walk when she walks into the room, the mood changes a little bit. Yeah, because I mean, even though Eve doesn't really do anything, she manages to get. I mean, she probably does. She probably doesn't even do it on purpose. She gets Margot and her boyfriend against each other all uh, right, <laughs> right from the get go. As he as they're getting ready for his welcome home party, and it all has to do with everybody's securities. She's like a catalyst for everybody's insecurities. Yeah, 
weirdly enough, she does like this weird emotional judo. (laughs) (laughs) You're making, you're kind of reminding me of, um, this is not, this shouldn't, this shouldn't be related. And yet like, uh, when I read the book Nixon land, uh, often the authors would talk about Richard Nixon as performing, uh, jujitsu with people (laughs) like almost like mentally, like politically speaking. So and it would he it would that term would come up all the time in the book, and it's like it was time for Nixon to pull out the old jujitsu, <laughs> as if he comes to the room he's like, okay fuckers, <laughs> like he's in black. Isn't that Dynamite. what happened in Black Dynamite? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. In that movie, he really does jujitsu. Yeah, but I'm just thinking that like yeah, Bay Davis uh, kind of pulls off that. I mean. Like, she's almost stealing... You could say she's almost stealing the show, like, every scene she's in. Like, even when she has, like, a quiet scene. Like, she has a quiet scene with this actress, Celeste Holm. Yeah, when they're in that car, when it's running out of gas. Yeah, it's And she becomes... And she she finally becomes human mm -hmm. in that scene. Yeah, in a way, this is also reminding me of, um... Uh... Uh, talking about like aside from Sunset Boulevard, also the film Whiplash, which I know you haven't seen yet, and I know it's about drumming. Well, it's about drumming, but now thinking about it, uh, J.K. Simmons has a little bit of that too. Where Cave even... Johnson, <laughs> yes, <laughs> Cave Johnson. When life gives you lemons, you're cold in those lemons and make super lemons. <laughs> Cave Johnson, we're done. Here. <laughs> uh, no, when he he has like a, a scene in a couple of scenes here in in, uh, in Whiplash where he kind of seems like he's human, and yet even there, there's still a little bit of that manipulation going on. Oh, I, I've seen I saw some clips of him in uh, in you know from the Oscars. the Oscars, and I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't trust that guy. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... So yeah, well, he kind of reminds me of Morgan Freeman in Stand by Me. When have you ever seen that? Of course, Morgan Freeman. He yells at all the teachers and thirty three percentile. That means I can hardly read. Yeah. And at that point, I would have been like, I was laughing through all that movie. I know, but I'm the kind of person who, if I was in that situation, I would just say, "Okay, I'll do whatever you want. Just stop yelling at me." <laughs> Everyone else in that, yeah, it's funny when you think about that, when he's yelling at everyone else, everyone's just kind of, like, standing and taking it. Yeah. No one's, like... Well, they're scared to, they're scared to death. Oh, yeah, he's, he's the HNIC. Yeah. You can't... Yeah. <laughs> so, all about Eve, anything else uh, you want to say about it? Well, it, uh, even though I hate the theater, uh, I could <laughs> easily recognize all these people as theater people. Now, here's a question for you. Did it... Oh, actually, two questions, then. So... Um, did you, did it make you like the theater anymore? Eh, not really. The theater is too intimate. Like, actually seeing people being on stage and vulnerable makes me feel uncomfortable, I think. Huh. You can't, like, but you don't see that separation? Uh, no, I mean, in, in a movie it's easy because there's a, there's a whole screen and I, a whole I world. Maybe see that. They're, they're in a different I, dimension. I it, get what you're saying. Like, it's, it is funny you mention that because I don't, you know, even though I'm in the film world... And I've I've wanted to be in the theater world, and yet I do. You're right. I do feel that intimacy. Um, I think there's also just more you can do with film. Yeah, uh, I, and, uh, I you don't the, have to learn your lines verbatim. Well, what I love about the theater for me is that you know the pleasure of hearing people talk. 
Oh. I like that aspect. Now, here's a question. What's, what's your favorite scene? Well, I think my favorite scene... If you can remember it. Here, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking back. I the, the scene that really sticks out with me is when George San- Sanders really exposes Eve for, for who she is. Oh, yeah. Because he's awesome. Like, I, I mean, if you don't know who George... Sanders or Saunders? No, it's Sanders. Sanders. Why, why would you think he's Saunders? I don't know. He, he's, he sounds British, so he's I assume Sheer it's Khan. fancier. Yes, he's Shere Khan from the Jungle Book, and he was in uh, Rebecca. Yes, Rebecca, and, and I, he was also in uh, a few other movies. Like I think he Italy. wasn't he also in... Yeah, it's uh, Sanders with an S-A-N. Okay, I think he was also in the picture Portrait of Dorian Gray. He might have been in there briefly. Um, I have a feeling it was him, but it could have just I, been somebody uh, like him. I wish I could say for sure, but I have not seen that movie. I saw him in the most random film I remember years ago. Um, William Friedkin's directorial debut was a Sonny and Cher vehicle called Good Times. <laughs> and he appears in the movie as, I'm not going to say he's a villain, but he like, all I remember about him in that movie is that he plays this char- a character who... Like he's, I, I just remember a scene again. It's been so long since I've seen that movie, but he's like sitting on like a, in a chair in a room, and like these two people are fighting, and he's almost directing like the fight. It's like you may proceed, and almost like finish him. <laughs> nice in George Sanders' voice. Oh, uh, if only he was still around to do voiceover for video games. Oh yeah, yeah, he has that. Uh, I guess I mean Alan Rickman or Bennett Cumberbatch might have replaced him, but. <laughs> Maybe not quite the same. Uh, I think he was also in Samson and Delilah, which I haven't seen. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was in Picture Dorian Gray. All right. Lord Henry Watton. I haven't seen that movie. Lord Henry Watton. Lord Henry Watton. Oh, what joy. You're going to come into this room now and try to tell me things. Do we just have a lot of dead air right now? (laughs) <laughs> you look like you're thinking of something and I let things hang uh, a little bit. I, I flashed back to Vietnam for a second. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. Andrew just flashed back to Vietnam. Vietnam, New Jersey. Hey. Alright. Uh, so anything else you want to say? Let's wrap this up. Well, I'll never trust young actresses again. <laughs> but this was way? a lot but this was a lot of fun. It's actually the first movie I think I've seen Betty Davis in. Yeah, yeah, that. So, um, uh, I thanks for uh, yeah. breaking that. That yeah, that's, the that's ice another thing that. too. I, to, it's interesting. I have not seen that. I have not seen that many Bay Davis movies. I saw she's in the, she's in this movie, The Petrified Forest. Have you ever heard of this movie? It was kind of Bogart's one of his first big breaks in Hollywood in the thirties. It's like it's almost it's kind of like a bottle film. Uh, it's set in like this small town, or um, it's almost like a western, sort of, but not exactly. And like Bogart's a gangster, and he's with like this gang, and Bay Davis and this other guy are in this bar, and Bogart comes in and basically holds everyone hostage, and that's the movie. Huh. So she's in that. I mean, she's in a lot of movies. Like she's in the kind of movies that my mom watches that I don't necessarily watch. Okay. Like now Voyager. But uh, it was. As more of the movie revealed itself, and as I got a better handle on it, I did uh, really appreciate. I did really appreciate it. It was 
just watching some of these people fall apart, like just yeah. tearing themselves apart. You're tearing me apart, people. It's not even that. It's that it's <laughs> people tearing themselves apart. Yeah. Because they just they they're throwing themselves on the rocks. <laughs> it's uh that gave me quite a bit of joy. So thank you, Jack. Uh, yeah, you're welcome, and thank you uh, for uh, Poltergeist. Uh, all, not as not to be confused with Poultrygeist, which is nobody got those two confused. <laughs> well, hopefully not. I, certainly, Lloyd Kaufman didn't get those two confused. Right. Don't get up, and please stop acting as if I were the Queen Mother. I'm sorry, I didn't Outside mean... of a beehive, Margot, your behavior would hardly be considered either queenly or motherly. You're in a beehive, pal, didn't you know? We're all busy little bees, full of stings, making honey day and night. Aren't we, honey? 